plan to finish up Ecclesiastes today. And uh, it's an interesting section. So let's open in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this time of opening your word. We ask you to help us to see what you would want us to see. Guide us, lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, starting at verse 1. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh when you shall say, I have no pleasure in them. While the sun or the light or the moon or the stars be not darkened, nor the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble and the strong men shall bow themselves and the grinders cease because they are few and those that look out the window to be darkened, the doors shall be shut in the street when the sound of the grinding is low and he shall rise up at the voice of the bird and all the daughters of music shall be brought low. And when they shall be afraid of that which is high, and the fear shall be in the way, and the almond tree shall flourish, and the grasshopper shall be a burden, the desire shall fail, and because man goes to his long home, and the mourners go about the streets, wherever the silver cord be loosed, and the golden bowl be broken, or the pitchers be broken at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave them good, good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find the acceptable words for that which was written was upright, even words of truth. The words of the wise men are as goads and as nails fastened in by the master of the assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. And further by these, my son, be admonished, and making of many books there is no end, and of much study is a weariness to this flesh. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for, that which, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every man, every work into judgment, and every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Several points on here, and the first point that he makes is, remember God in your days of youth. Now, I talk to a lot of people, and they go, well, you know, I just want to live like the devil, and when I get old, I'll, I'll, I'll commit to God. Well, the bad problem with that is when people say something like that, they're looking at, at salvation as fire insurance. I just don't want to go hell. I want to hell. I want to have as much fun as I can, as long as I can, and then I will get saved and go to heaven. You know, and the sad thing about that kind of mentality is there are consequences for sin long-term consequences for sin and you know so if you want to live like the devil and then try to get saved and commit to God later on there's going to be a consequence for all those bad decisions all those all those things Solomon here is saying live for God from the beginning and you know this is a great thing there's there's not as much pain there's not as many regrets when you're living for God and we do it in our old age, too. We'll have fewer regrets. You know, anytime we get saved, we'll have fewer regrets going forward when we choose to live for God. But, you know, when somebody's just looking for fire insurance, I just don't want to go to hell, so I'll you know, ask Jesus into my heart. Number one, they probably haven't really asked him into his heart because they haven't made him Lord. And they've just, you know, got their little fire insurance. You know, I got my insurance slip. It's here in the drawer. <laughs> you know, and so Solomon is saying serve God when you're young 
And it is much harder to serve God the older we get, even when you want to serve him from the young on up. And then he goes into a long stretch. And he does, in very poetic language, he talks about old age in this section. He says, when the keepers of the house shall tremble and the strong men bow, bow low, he's talking about their arms and legs. Arms and legs start trembling. Arms and legs can't carry the things that we want to carry. You can't do the things that we want to do. All right? And we all know that feeling. No matter what age we are, there's things we couldn't do when we were a teenager. The sad thing is our brains keep telling us that we can. <laughs> um, then he says that the grinders cease because they are few. <laughs> we lose our teeth. <laughs> He goes, we quit chewing, we keep, we keep, you know, because we're losing our teeth. And this is true. In our day and age, we have dentures and everything now to make it so it's not quite as true. But he's going, you don't even want to eat that harder foods because they're so, because they're few. And they, they had to look out the windows, be darkened. We start losing our eyesight. You know, and this is, these are all true statements. You know, we start getting weak. We start getting where we can't, uh, do things we don't uh, we can't see as well the doors be shut in the street and when the sound of the grinding is low and they shall rise up at the voice of the bird and the daughters of the music shall be brought low tend to stay inside because we don't feel safe outside you know we get stuck inside we start losing our hearing we can't hear the birds but yet certain sounds wake us up in the middle you know for no reason you know, and this is this is quite poetic you know and uh, it is obvious that when Solomon is talking about this, he is older already himself. He, he's speaking out of firsthand experience as he's teaching this lesson. He goes, and they shall be afraid of that which is on high, and the fears shall be in the way. This is something I have noticed. I have never feared heights in my life, and now I get up someplace and I go, that's a long ways down. <laughs> it doesn't even have to be very high anymore. <laughs> Uh, I was on the pickup truck trying to step down the stuff so we could get it really full, and I'm looking down and going, that's a long ways down. <laughs> uh, you know, and it used to be to just get up there, jump up and down, and not worry about falling. Now it's like, I understand this one. Afraid. You know, not necessarily paralyzing afraid, but there's a fear. And then in the way. You know, afraid just to walk sometimes. You know, because you just don't have the balance. And in their day, that would have been a really big deal because the roads were not very smooth. So you would have had bigger problems than we do in our day. We have sidewalks and roads and, you know, nice smooth areas to walk on. But, you know, there is that fear. The older we get, the more we're aware there's a, there's a bump on this road. There's a hole over here. Don't want to fall down. Be, you know, don't want to fall down. <laughs> you know, uh, stepfather just recently fell, fell down, broke, it, broke his femur just from a fall. You know, and I know there's other people in this room that have fallen down <laughs> and broken, broken legs. You know, this is what old age does. It gives us that fear of even moving around even a little bit. And then he goes on to say, and the almond tree shall flourish. Now, most of us really don't know what this is meaning, but the almond tree as it starts budding out has a white flower <laughs> in the Middle East. So he's saying we're getting gray. <laughs> <laughs> the gray hair is flourishing. Uh, you know, and I'm experiencing that very much you know, with all my gray. You know, it's now more, more salt and pepper in my hair than it used to be. It used to be all, all dark, and now it's all more gray. And many of us know that experience. 
And then when the grasshopper shall burden, shall be a burden. And here, I had to do some research on this one, but they say that he's talking about how our joints start to pop out <laughs> as we get older. <laughs> as I see everybody looking down at their hands and, <laughs> you know, instead of those nice, smooth <laughs> joints, we start having them pop up. And they say specifically in the back area, he's referring to this. Uh, and, you know, so we look at this, and he's really picturing this out, and he says, desires fulfill because men goes for, longs for his home, not wanting to eat, not wanting anything else, because there comes that point where we just start saying, God, I just want to go home. I want to go to heaven. And I can understand that that's probably the older you get and the more painful your body gets, the more you desire the, to go home and say, I want it all just, God, I, I'm, I'm tired of it, and I still want to seek you. I still want to follow you. But there comes that point where you say, God, I, I'm ready. And I'm there already. If God didn't have me teaching, I'm ready to go home. Not because of pain, just because how miserable this world is. If God didn't have things to do in this world, I would say, God, I just want to go home. And that's my prayer. God, when you're done using me here and I can't, can't teach anymore, I want to go home. I don't want to hang around and it says, man longs to go home to his home, and mourners go about the street. So, and this says, and over the silver cord that loosed, and the golden bowls be broken, the pitcher is broken in the fountain, and the wheels are broken at the cistern. And this one is very poetic language that we don't want to get into too deeply. <laughs> but he's really referring to the need of diapers. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Uh, so we won't go deep into that one. But, uh, and he says, and the dust shall return to the earth. There comes the time when we know and we start really realizing that we're mortal. Now, when we're kids, we're teenagers, we're young, young adults, we think we're immortal, we can do anything and everything. And if, if we get a broken bone or two, no big deal. They'll, they'll, be, they'll be healed in a couple weeks and I'll be back to being, being immortal again. Now, but as we get older, we start really sensing there's an end. You know, when we get to the place where we've lived longer than we have left to go forward, and we know it. You know, we get to be you know, 50s or so, and we start realizing we have lived more than we're probably going to live in the future. And we start realizing there's an end. And this is something that Solomon is bringing out. He says, serve God while you are younger. Now, I'm going to say that because we have mostly older people in this room. Serve God from the point you're at now <laughs> on <laughs> because you're only going to get older. You know, none of us are getting any younger. You know, and as we get older, it gets more and more difficult to serve God. You know, and I used to be thinking about this because you know, I've heard lots of people, well, when I retire, I'll serve God. Well, the more I'm talking with retired people, the more I realize they're not serving God anymore because they have their excuses. And I'm very much learning the older I get, the more every single person and age has an excuse for not serving God. The young child, they're just so busy being a child, they don't want to serve God. The teenager, they're so busy trying to get their education and do this and, and try to find themselves <laughs> you know, to serve God. The young person is... You know, getting established in college or a career and too busy to serve God. 
You get a little older and you're starting to get your family established. You go, well, can't go to, you know, I'm too busy with my family. I can't go serve God. Get a little older. Well, my kids are in high school. I got to go to all their games and their plays, and and I'm, you know, and I'm in mid management now. I've got to, I've got to get uh, this to God. God, you know, you understand. Get a little older, and it's, oh God, you know, I'm just starting to get ready for retirement. I got to get all these extra, all, all, all these extra dollars in. Get retired. Oh God, I'm too sore to do anything for you now. You know, I got all this time in the world, and I have no energy. Why do I say that? Because unless we make time to serve God, he will always be pushed into the back burner. Always. We need to say, God, I choose to make time for you. This is why I encourage us. I don't believe that God just wants a tithe of our money. I believe he wants a tithe of our time. Do we spend time with God? Two and a half hours a day. 14.8 14.8 hours a week, <laughs> or 16.8 hours a week, excuse me. Do we spend time with God and make room for him? Because we'll always make the excuses for not serving him. Because we're all busy. If our focus is on this world, we won't make time for him. It's real easy to push him aside because he's not seen. You know, it's also true even, you know, I think even about health. You know, I have issues in my health that I don't really think about on a day-to-day, which probably the doctors would tell me are more detrimental to me than the aches and pains that I feel and I pay attention to. And we're all like that. We pay attention to what is in front of us and not necessarily what is most important. God is the most important thing that we can put in front of us. But he is not standing there physically in front of us unless we put him there. And this is why we need to be in the word. This is why we need to share the gospel. We're looking to hear, and I want to hear from God, well done, good and faithful servant. When I stand before him, I want to hear well done. How do we get well done? We speak, we read the word. We speak to people. We share the gospel. We live the way he wants us to live. We pray for the lost. We pray for those who need prayer. So that when we stand before God, we'll hear the words, well done. The other thing I want to do and see is finish strong. Paul said, I have run the race. I have finished the course. I am guilty of no man's blood. And he says, I am ready. I'm ready. I have seen many people over my lifetime who do not finish well. They do well for a long period of time and they get toward the end of their life on some reason, they lose it. <laughs> you know, I don't know why. I'm hoping that I am going to finish well. In a race, on a long-distance race, people would reserve their strength so at the end of the race they could kick in and go fast and hard. When they're really tired and everybody else is tired, that's the way we look at our life. Our life is a long race. <laughs> you know, we need to reserve and be ready to kick in that extra point when everything looks bad. We sang the song, You Say. How many times do we believe the lies that Satan feeds us about ourselves? You're not loved. God would never love you. You're too weak to be used. You're too old to be used. Whatever reason he gives you, you're too sinful to be used. Don't believe the lies of Satan. Don't believe the lies of your flesh. 
step up and say, God, I'm going to believe what you say about me. Jesus died on the cross so that our sins would be paid for. He paid for our sins and he clothes us in the righteousness of Christ. And when God looks at us, he sees perfection. We cannot be looking at ourselves and saying, ah, I'm worthless. That's what Satan wants us to believe. And this is so important that we don't fall into this trap. It is easy to not believe what God says about us. Because our flesh tells us we're worthless. Satan whispers into our ears we're worthless. And the world will tell us we're worthless unless we're doing some great thing in the world. Well, you're not rich enough. You're not famous enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not handsome enough. You know, you're not strong enough. Whatever the world's going to tell us. And we need to be very careful. We've got advertisements everywhere telling us that we're not enough. Unless we buy their stuff. And even then, we're not going to be enough because somebody else will tell us we're not enough because we don't have their stuff. You know, we have got to stop listening to the world and listening to God. God says we are his. And that he has clothed us in the righteousness of Christ. That gives us power. It gives us strength. And you know what? God is not going to let his children get beat up long term. There's the consequences for for the world going against us. It may be in heaven. It may be at the white throne judgment. Sometimes it happens in this world. But there are consequences for those who do evil. And they will face it. They think they're getting away from uh, with it, but they will face the consequence. After death, he says, uh, everything is vanity. <laughs> And in one thing, everything that we do outside of the Spirit of God is vanity. I could be the richest person in the world. I could be the most famous person in the world. I you know, be the best-looking person in the world. And it means nothing in heaven without Christ. And this is the same for each one of us. We could have everything that the world says we should have. And without Christ, it is vanity. It's empty. It will not settle, serve. Then he says, the preacher was wise and taught knowledge. Yea, he had, took good heed and sought out and set in order the Proverbs. The preacher sought out acceptable words, and that was written for the upright, even words of truth. We need to be learning from the Word of God. All right? Can we learn on the Word of God by ourselves? Yes, we can learn on the Word of God by ourselves, but you know, it's a whole lot easier to be taught. You know, how many of you have ever taught yourself to do anything? Not just read the word, but taught yourself to do anything. And then you had somebody come along and teach you how to do it, and you found out there were easier ways to do it. Mm -hmm. That it might have been a whole lot easier to have learned <laughs> by having somebody teach you. This is the purpose of a church, to have somebody teach. But each one of us needs to be teaching somebody as well. You know, we need to be teaching our children, our nieces, nephews, grandchildren, whatever, teaching them what we learn. You know, and I share with you guys, I listen to pastors all the time. Why? Because I need, to, I need somebody every once in a while to shake up the way I think. Because it is real easy to get stuck in a certain line of thought on, on something and have somebody come along and say, here's something a little different to think about. Here's a different way to, to think about this verse. Now, it doesn't mean I necessarily always believe what they say, <laughs> but at least it puts a check in my thing, in my life, and say, okay, God, I need to research. I need to look deeper into this. 
We all need people to teach us. We all are teachers. If you've been walking with God, and I've shared this many times, if you've been walking with God any length of time, there's people that know less than you do. I hear people will go, I can't teach how long you've been studying the Bible. I want to say the best way to learn something is to teach it. And I've shared this many times, even in the business world, you really want to learn how to do something, you really want to learn it in depth, step out and teach somebody. And it could be from sewing to car mechanics to anything. The word of God. You step out and you teach somebody and you learn it a lot better because you want to do a good job so you learn it really well. You think about the steps you take. You know, there are many things that I do you know, outside of the word of God that are just mechanical. I know what to do and I don't even think about them. If you're teaching somebody and you have to actually break down the steps and explain them to them, this is what he's saying. The preacher taught the good truth. And this is something that's so important. We need to be in the word of God. The truth. You know, and I've said this, one of, the, one of the things that really amazes me is when psychology or sociology finally gets something right and they study and they do their study and they spend years and millions of dollars to find something out and their result is whatever the Bible says. <laughs> and I look at that and I'm going, well, why did you start with the Bible in the first place? You wouldn't have spent millions of dollars and years trying to figure out the right answer. Now, they can sometimes get all kinds of really strange things, and then years later they find out, no, this wasn't right, it wasn't good. But, you know, the Word of God is true. And when we study the Word of God and we see it, there's nothing new under the sun, as Solomon is very clear of saying. And it is so funny when you see something in the newspaper and you go, wow. You know, uh, and people will you know, you read the newspaper and they'll go, something new. And you're going, well, that's not new. It's happened hundreds of times. It happened in the Bible times. You know? And it's so interesting. Political intrigue has been going on and happened in the Bible. You know, adultery and affairs happened in the Bible. You know, people stealing in the Bible. You know, stealing land, doing whatever. You know, whatever is done today has been recorded in the scriptures. All you'd have to do is change a couple names, change a couple places, and you could be reading the newspaper. You know, and this is important for us. God's word is alive. God's word is relevant. And one of the things that happened, I, you know, because I deal a lot with educated people, and they go, you believe that old book, that ancient, out-of-date book? And I go, you haven't been reading the Bible, have you? They go, well, it was written so many years ago, and I go, read, read it. Go start reading it, and then we can talk. Once you know there's nothing new. Once you know. But you know, the sad thing about this is, so many people that don't know God can read the Bible and there's blinders on their eyes and they can't see anything. They don't understand anything. It's amazing to me, the more I read the Bible, the more I see everything accurate, everything very vital. I see Jesus completely in the Old Testament. I see God's grace in the Old Testament. I see him teaching us how to live in both the New and Old Testament. Because the eyes are opened. And the more we study it, the more he opens our eyes. And I love it. A couple of you have been reading the Bible through every year since we started here seven years ago. You know, and have been on it now four, five, six, seven times. And I'm hearing over and over, 
wow, it means so much more. I'm still getting new stuff out of it. You know, I've been reading just a few more years than that, but you know, I'm in the same boat. You know, in the same boat, 48 years of reading it through, through most every year. I've started at a very young age reading the Bible through it every year. A couple times, I, especially during the two years I walked away from God, I wasn't reading it. But So a good 46 years, so it's about 40, at least 40 times that I've been through the Word of God, and it's still new and fresh every time it's read. And it's an amazing book because it is alive. It is God's Word, and it is true. You cannot learn everything that's in this book. And it's an amazing thing because I've, I've had books that I pretty much learned what was in them. But the Bible, you cannot learn everything that is in God's word. It's new. It's fresh every day. And it says in verse 11, the words of the wise are as golds and as nails fastened by the masters of the assembly, which are given from one shepherd. Sometimes God's word hurts. <laughs> Sometimes we're living in a lifestyle that we don't want to hear his word. <laughs> and goads are the uh, pointed stick that the shepherds and the, and the would use to get their sheep and their goats moving when they did not want to move, or the, or the oxen, they'd prick the oxen to get them to move. Nails, we all know what nails are. <laughs> you know, they hold things together. God's word will hold our life together, sometimes painfully so, <laughs> as he nails us into place. Sometimes it's the goads that are pricking us, saying, you're not supposed to be here. You're not supposed to be doing this. And, you know, if we don't pay attention, the goad gets a little harder. <laughs> and the push gets a little harder. But, you know, this is important for us. I've heard people go, well, I don't read the Word of God because I feel, I just don't feel good when I get done. Well, maybe God's trying to change your life a little bit. <laughs> you know, change your life and you've got a lot more good things in there. The good news for us is the closer we get to God, the more joyfulness we have in our hearts, the more joy we have. But you know what? We also still see the sin. The amazing thing to me is the closer I get to God, the more I see how sinful I am. Because God just shines a brighter light into my heart. Jeremiah said that our, the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things who can know it. And I am so glad that God, when I was very young, did not open up and shine the light in my heart and say, here's all the bad stuff you're going to get rid of. Because I probably would have said, no way, see you later. <laughs> There's just too much there to get rid of. But he takes and slowly moves it out of our life. Slowly shines a little bit brighter light, a little bit brighter light, a little deeper down into our heart, and starts stripping away item after item. And he'll keep doing that until the day we die. Because we on this world will never be perfect. We can become more like God. We can become more perfect. By the world standards, they might go, well, you're really perfect. Yeah, well, if you just knew what my mind was going through and what my heart was going through, you wouldn't be saying that. I was talking, witnessing one guy who goes, easy for you. You got everything all put together. And I just laughed. <laughs> I go, if you really knew what God is working on me for, you wouldn't even begin to say that. And you know, this is true for all of us as Christians. God works things out of our life. And the world may look at us and say, well, you guys are 
I can never be like you. You got your whole life put together. And you go, you don't know. You don't know what it is. But at the same time, I'm never sharing the gospel with somebody and trying to convince them that they have to get better. I want them to know that they're a sinner. I've met too many Christians that go, well, I'll talk to this person when they get their life put together. I won't, when they get their life, if they got their life put together, all they would become is a Pharisee. I don't need God because I've got everything put together. I like talking to people who know they're a sinner. They're easy to convince that they're a sinner. You know, if somebody thinks they're a good person, they're hard to, they're hard to talk to. Well, I don't, I don't need God. You know, I, I'm a good person. God says that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God, and that's the hardest thing to convince good people. So we want to be able to share that gospel with people and share we need God. Without God, we are nothing. God comes into our life, fills us, and then he changes us. And I love it. I love that God changes me. It's not me struggling to whip and share my sins into, into uh, submission. All right, get in that cage and stay there until I let you out. Yeah, they'll stay in that cage for as short a period of time as it can and get right out roaring at us. That's why God says it is to be crucified. Our flesh is to be crucified. And it hurts. God's word hurts sometimes. There's times when I'm reading it and go, God, I didn't want to hear that. There's times when I swear that every single preacher got together and knew, knew what needed to be talked about in my life for the entire week because they're all talking about something that God's working on my life on. Okay, okay God, I got it. <laughs> I, I got it finally. Yes, I had to hear it 28 times this week, but I got it. The goads and the nails where he nails us in. We've all been there. We've all experienced it. it. And it says... And further by these, my son, the admonishing of making many books, there is no end, and of study is a weariness of the soul. You know, we live in a day of knowledge. If you want to find out things, you can find out more than you ever wanted to know about anything. And yet, it is so funny sometimes that the more you study, the less you understand something, the more confused you might get. I love going back to the Greek and the Hebrew on these things, but sometimes I get back in there and it, it makes it more fuzzy than it was when I started. And I go, okay, God, uh, I need you to help me. And if you, if you took the how to study the Bible class with us, which we'll, open, we'll offer again, the very first thing we said, the very first and most important tool for studying the Bible is prayer and the Holy Spirit. Prayer and the Holy Spirit will be the two most important tools. Now, the other tools are good. I'm not downplaying any of the other tools we can use to learn the Bible. But you know what? The Holy Spirit wrote the book. He knows exactly what it means, and if you turn to him, he'll tell you what it means. You may not be able to prove it. There were things that when I was a teenager, I'd go, God, I don't understand this. The churches, I've gone to three different types of churches, and they're all saying different things about this verse. I need you to tell me what it means. He told me what it meant, couldn't prove it, but I knew God had told me. And then when I started taking Bible college courses, I now was able to study the Bible deep enough to say, okay, wow, the Holy Spirit knew exactly what he was talking about. You know, it's not, not an amazing thing, actually, but the Holy Spirit will tell you what to do, how to do it, if you just train yourself to listen and ask him. 
ask him to reveal things to you. If you get something revealed to you that's not biblical and not scriptural, you're listening to the wrong spirit. You're not listening to the Holy Spirit. If it's contrary to the word of God, it is a demonic spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit. And we need to always measure it up. Say, is it valid? Is it scriptural? And, you know, when you ask me questions, I'm going to bring it back to the scripture. Because this is the only tool that helps. When people go, what does this verse mean? What, you know, many of you can answer right now. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read about 10 verses, 15 verses ahead of it, 10, 15 verses after it, and say, well, this is what it means. And when I read them, when you read them, you usually go, oh, I guess I didn't need your help because it's context. What does the word of God say? And then he says, let us hear the conclusion of the matter. I've quoted this verse all <laughs> the last two months. The conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of man. Man was created to worship God and to obey God. And the very first man and woman did not obey God fairly quickly. And when you read the story, it seems like it was very quickly in that they disobeyed God. You know, long enough, short enough period of time that they, uh, from my reading of it, they never had any children before they were kicked out of the garden. That would have been a very traumatic experience because that would have had two different races, so we don't have that. So I believe that they fell before they had any children, so we're not talking a very long period of time that they fell. And our job is to, to obey God. And then he finalizes this in verse 14. For God shall bring every work into judgment, whether it be and with, and with every secret thing. Nothing is hidden from God, and God will bring everything into judgment. Now, for us as Christians, if you're a Christian and you've accepted Jesus Christ in your heart, you're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. You have the righteousness of Christ, and you're going to stand before God for one purpose. You're going to stand before Jesus at the Bema seat where he's going to look at your works and say, here's your rewards, and the rest burn up. If we are a Christian, it's an easy judgment. We may see a lot of our life burn up because it wasn't lived for God, but we have an easier judgment because God is saying, here, here's your rewards. Enter into heaven with all these rewards. Or enter in with these few rewards, whatever it might be. But we'll enter into heaven with rewards. At the white throne judgment, all of their rejections of Jesus Christ will be brought out. All of their sin will be brought out and opened up. The books will be opened up and brought out. And they will be rejected for eternity. Anybody standing at the white throne judgment is guilty. And God's going to so open the books. It doesn't matter what we think we saw or what we think we knew. You know, we've said this over and over again. In heaven, there's going to be two surprises for us. The people that are in heaven, because we didn't think they were good enough. And the other side will be the people who aren't in heaven because we'll be shocked. Well, you went to church every Sunday. You taught Sunday school. You were there Sunday night. You were there Wednesday night. You were at the revival meetings. You were knocking on. You did visitation. Why aren't you here? Because they didn't know Jesus Christ. There are going to be a lot of what we would call good people in hell. This is why we need to share the gospel with 
everybody, not just bad people, not with, we need to make sure that everybody knows the gospel message. Because a lot of good people are going to end up in hell because they did not know Jesus Christ. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that is to make him Lord. That isn't just call and say, God, I need your help. There's lots of people who say, God, I need help. And then immediately forget them when they get the help. Now, we hear those stories all the time. Maybe you've even done it yourself before you got saved. God, I need help. And God delivered you. And it's like, okay, God, see you later. God wants to be Lord of our life, master of our life. He wants to be the one that we seek out to, to obey. And he expects that. He expects his children to obey him. Not because we're trying to earn heaven, because we can't. No good thing is going to get us into heaven. Only Jesus Christ. But he says, when you know him, we will do good. Because we love him and he starts crucifying the flesh. And what we are spending time with, we become. And we all know this. Usually we think about it in the negative. If you hang out with bad company, you become bad. Well, you know, it kind of works the other way around. The more we hang out with God, the more we hang out with his people, the more we're going to start doing good things. Because we're going to become like what we've, what we've spent our time looking at. If I am looking at God all the time, I am going to become like God. I will never become God. I will never become anywhere close to God. <laughs> But when we look at him, we will become more like him. So when people see us, they go, that's one of God's children. Moses went up on Mount Sinai, spent 40 days and 40 nights with God, came down, and it said he had to put a veil on his face because God was shining out of him because he had spent so much time with God. So the people wanted him to hide his face. Do people know that you spend time with God? That is our question for us. When you, do you spend enough time with God for the people to know that you're his? And this is something important for us as we wrap up the Ecclesiastes. Without God, everything is vanity. Everything is empty. With God, everything is great. Does that mean bad things won't happen to us? Nope, we all know bad things happen to us all the time, but still... God says, all things work together for good. Now, what good can some bad things do? Well, if you live long enough, you usually see some of the good. But you know what? When we get to heaven, God's going to reveal things to us, and we're going to say, wow, is that why you did this to me? That person got saved because I went through this, this rough time in my life? This person had you touched their life because of the things that happened to me? God, you just made, you made me stronger by going through some of this stuff. What, what's the reason? Who knows? I don't know, and I can't explain half of it. But I do know that God says all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And I've lived long enough to see it happen over and over and over again. That God has used even the bad things in somebody's life to do good, either for them or for somebody else. And I know that this has happened in my life because somebody shared it with me. I spent six months one time walking around with gout pain. 
I'm going, God, there is no way this can be for good. I can't see. I'm in pain. I can't walk. I can't sleep. I can't do anything. And a year later, somebody came and said, you encouraged me because you served God while you were in obvious pain. I'm going, God, okay, thank you that something good came out of it. It wasn't for my good. And that's why I share with us all the time. Most of us want to add one word to that verse. For all things work together for good. Most people want to add most things work together for my good. And that's not in that verse. It is for good. And that's God's definition of good, which doesn't always match our definition of good. We're going to close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you that you are good. Lord, we thank you that you have a plan for each one of us. Lord, if there's anybody listening on this today that doesn't know you, we ask that they will today turn their life over to you, admit, and just say, God, I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. Come into my life and save me. Be my Lord. Lord, for those of us that are Christians, help us to follow you more, fall in love with you more, seek you more, and Lord, to open our mouths and share the gospel with others. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.